Welcome to The Podlight, the audio collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm your host, Bob Stedler. We have a great show today. We'll be talking about San Jose living legend, Chuck Davidson. With me is Janice Bitters, senior porter for San Jose Spotlight. Thanks for having me, Bob. Well, thanks for interviewing Chuck Davidson, who's been a mentor of mine for, for many years and somebody that I really look up to as a human being and not just as a business person. And so I just want to say thank you for taking the time to interview uh, somebody who I know he gives rarely gives interviews. And so I, I'm just really, I'm really happy, a little bit giddy about this conversation. So I just would love to just get your insights into, into Mr. Davidson. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. My understanding is that he does not like to give interviews because he doesn't like to be in the spotlight. He does a lot of generous things and he often will ask that his name isn't attached to it. And I don't remember the last time he did an interview. So um, I feel very honored that he sat down with me for an hour and a half and he told me about his life, his business philosophy, some of his most proud accomplishments. And uh, he shared a lot of jokes with me. He's a very funny person. I was expecting to go in and meet this extraordinarily, you know, powerful and successful person that was maybe a little intimidating. I mean, I was, I was fully expecting that. And he was very down to earth, very funny. And so it was, it was really a pleasure. Yeah, I, th- I think what people don't really know is, you know, his heart and his humor is, I think, kind of what he leads with. And he's such a savvy business person but he he's never sold out in such a way where he hurts people. And I think his quirky personality at times comes across to people coming from where he comes from. But when you hear about his background and you hear the story of his life, it it's it's the American dream. Absolutely. And I, I think it's something that we just need to hold on to more as this country is dividing itself more and more each day and just having him as an example. Um, I think is just a great beacon for what young people can learn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Like I said, I spent some time with him and then I also did a lot of research on him. I spoke to people in the community who know him and I got basically unanimously glowing reviews about a man that basically he's, he's been able to cross a political divide. I mean, it didn't matter what party or what side of an issue he was on. It it seemed like everybody kind of had a good impression of him that I spoke to anyways. And I asked him very specifically about his practice and reaching across the aisle and various negotiations from development to he was actually part of developing what is now. He He was an architect of San Jose's city charter that is in place now with some amendments, but it's it's generally what he helped put together still to this day. And uh, he talked to me a lot about how he he was able to reach across the aisle and not make enemies even when he disagreed with people. Yeah, I think it, he's, he's rare in the fact that he cares about the common good and understands the bigger picture. And we have brought clips with us today, and I'm really looking forward to us reviewing and hearing some of the checkisms, so to speak. I'm excited to share them there. He, like I said, he is very funny. He's very, you know, deadpan when he tells jokes. And so I apologize if those, uh, if the recordings are tinged with a little bit of my laughter or, (laughs) or, or, you know, comments because he, his jokes really can catch you off off guard, which makes them even funnier. (laughs) 
Yeah, and, and it's really, it's from the heart, and he's got a quick wit, and it's all from good, and, and he doesn't demean people, and he doesn't cut people down, and and I think that's kind of what was kind of heartening when you get to know him over the years. Um, so quick story for me, when I, when the governor is, I, when, when people say, why'd you start your business? I always say, well, when the governor took his ball and went home and ended redevelopment, I decided to go start my own business instead of going back into government. And so every quarter, Chuck would call me, Mr. Davidson would call me and say, what are your three biggest problems you're facing right now? And I tell him and he goes, yeah, those are the right ones. And I'd say, well, what's the answer? He goes, no, that's not my job to give you the answer. My job is to make sure you're answering the right questions. And he took the time to do that. And I'd go in his office and I still to this day go in his office and we chat and we talk and he doesn't want anything from me. And we just, it's just been a great mentoring situation in such, such a way where it's coming from the heart. He's been there. He's done it. He understands it's a scary proposition going out on your own. He has phenomenal partners. His staff are just the greatest people. And you just get to see what a person of that kind of character can build. And it's, it's heartening. Yeah. You know, um, and his staff and his partners, I think today, I think he owns four businesses. I don't have the count. I don't have the list of them in front of me, but they're all construction development, property management related and have, you know, their, their various focuses and two of his partners for one of the, the, um, businesses is they, they sat in with the interview that I had and I could see from, you know, just them being there and, and the way that they, um, they treated Mr. Davidson and, you know, they really didn't step into the interview very often, but when they did, it was generally to remind him of something else amazing that he had done. Um, and, you know, I could just see that they really admire him. They appreciate his mentorship. And frankly, maybe they're even a little bit protective because they, um, because they just really, they, they love him. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so just to tell the audience, so it's Mark Lazzarini and Tony Ariola. Yeah. And with Dal. D-A-L. Um, and, yeah. and it's just, those guys are, they're just, you know, cut from the same cloth. They're just, you know, they have character, they have integrity, they know what it takes. The word is their bond. Um, they're just good people. You know, Delabo is partnering with them mm-hmm. on a project. And so, I mean, they didn't have to do it, but they've chosen to. So I think it's really kind of interesting how he's created his team and his partnerships. And um, when we did the North San Pedro project, he wanted a stop sign in front of his building in the city. And the city just said no. And I just dug my heel in and I fought for him and I got on that stop sign. And as silly as it is, I sometimes drive through that stop sign with my wife. And she goes, why are we doing this? And I said, stop sign. Because it was something he needed because he knew that when people crossed the street, he wanted the cars to slow down. And it was just something of worrying about other people. And it was just, I'm just getting emotional just talking about it. But he just really cared about that. And he just, the little details matter. Yeah. And in this day and age where everyone's looking at profits and just what can do to help themselves and putting their name on everything, it's just, it's just heartwarming and just great to hear somebody who cares about the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, I think that Chuck is such an interesting character because he's originally from Oklahoma, right? And he grew up, he says that his people are the poor people. Uh, He grew up very, very poor. 
And um, he came here looking for a better life for himself. Basically, he wanted to make money in an honest way and not be poor anymore. That's what he came here looking for. And before long, he was far from poor. And he was indeed, you know, he was then giving back to the community. I mean, he's given probably an uncountable number of dollars, especially because um, he doesn't often put attach his name to those dollars. So I honestly don't know if I could personally figure out exactly how much he's given to various causes in Silicon Valley. But once he did get away from that poverty, he, he gave away a lot of money. And often he wouldn't want his name attached to it. It was really just about supporting that cause. And um, that was what made me really interested in uh, in having this interview with him because, again, he doesn't often do interviews. And I think he hasn't gotten a lot of credit for a lot of the good things that he's done, specifically by design. Um, but I, I spoke actually to um, former Mayor Chuck Reed, and I said, because they obviously knew each other, and I said, do you know Mr. Davidson? He said, oh, yes, I've known him for decades. And I said, what can you tell me? Like, what is what is Mr. Davidson's legacy today with the in the city of San Jose? And he basically told me that. He said, um, well, he's given a lot of money to a lot of causes. And I have had many, many conversations where I'm talking to somebody and they say, oh, yeah, Chuck or Charlie, people call him different things. Mm-hmm. He's going to give money, but he doesn't want anybody to know. And that was like that was straight from a former mayor that had worked with him for decades. And so, um, so anyways, I'm really excited to tell his story because he really is kind of a rags to riches, um, you know, story, kind of the American dream story. And um, he's, like I said, given away an uncountable amount of money in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I think his how he's kept his character and his heart going through that process to me is one of the more interesting things because. The rags to riches is the scoreboard model of kind of looking at it, but he's been able to stay true to himself where you see other people who go through that same situation. We're seeing tech executives go through that. I mean, Lord knows the WeWork former CEO wasn't able to keep it together, but the way he's been able to keep what made him him from Oklahoma to San Jose and have it translate so seamlessly into any situation that he's in. Yeah. And, you know, one good example of that is, um, you know, just like you said, that he has come and basically that he's doing the right thing, even though it may not be given the highest profit or something like that. And a good example of that is he was building subsidized housing just decades back when subsidized and affordable housing was often kind of looked at almost like a bad word, even more than it is today sometimes. (laughs) But um, uh, I think he he started to do, um, I think, affordable housing. Uh, he started building housing in the 60s, if I remember right. He was building affordable housing in the 80s, and he was doing a lot of work with that. And oftentimes when you build affordable housing, um, and that's what it's designated as, you have to keep it affordable for a certain number of years. But it's normally only about 30 years. I've seen maybe 50 years in some cases, but somewhere in there. And he told me that he has never changed what was an affordable home into a market rate home. He's obviously done rent increases, but has not has not basically transferred it to a market rate home, which is what many developers do because that is where the money is. And he is a for-profit guy. He's not running a nonprofit. But um, 
But he told me that that is one of his, uh, that I, I don't know how to say it. I, I don't want to say proudest accomplishments, but I think, you know, it, he said that it's one of the things that, that brings him the most joy is that he has those affordable homes and he knows those families have a safe home. Yeah, because I think in his mind, just not trying to put words in his mouth, but I think he's thinking that's what you're supposed to do. Where a lot of people are doing, I'm doing it to get this, or you know, they have a PR firm and some white shoe PR guys telling him, "You say this, you do this, go, you know, get a lifetime achievement award and play with a former member of the Eagles, and we're gonna create something out of nothing, out of a family legacy." Where he's just finally getting, you know, recognized for doing the right thing, even when it's not popular or it's not profitable. Yeah. And I think that's the real one, the one of the remarkable aspects of Mr. Davidson. Yeah. You know, and just, uh, I have a little story that he told me that I think is so funny. So like I said, affordable housing mm-hmm. hasn't traditionally been terribly popular, particularly in the past. And he built one apartment building in San Jose and never said that it was going to be affordable because he knew that it wouldn't get built. So he, he wasn't obligated by law to tell anybody that it was going to be affordable. He just kind of knew. So he got an apartment building project approved and then filled it with, you know, affordable units. And, um, he did it on purpose. And he said that he did that that way because he knew that affordable housing needed to be there. And he also knew that it was possible that people would accept a market rate building, but not an affordable building, which he felt was wrong. So he just did it. <laughs> and I think that that's so interesting. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things like he definitely talked a lot about his moral code and that is aligned with his moral code. He believed that it truly was right and needed to have affordable housing there. So he just made it happen. Yeah, and that's something that I just truly admire and respect. And and I've turned down a lot of clients because the projects didn't kind of fit what I thought was best for the city or or best for the civilization or the city in general. And so, mm-hmm. so why don't we play some clips? Yeah. So here, I'll I have this one. I asked Chuck Davidson basically like how he got involved in. Uh, you know, subsidized affordable housing and kind of where that passion came from. And this was, this was the way he (laughs) talked the entire time, you know, rather than speaking in, uh, oh, here was where my passion was. And I, you know, felt this was so important. So I took these moves. He was very down to earth and was like, I'll tell you the truth. This lady told me I needed to do it. And my initial reaction wasn't to jump in right away. Uh, And I thought that that was very honest, very refreshing, and and it's frankly a funny story, so I'm going to share that. Well, let me tell you a joke. Okay. (laughs) Uh, It's not a joke, it's a true story. I was on the housing authority when the city had one, back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And they had a uh, counterpart to uh, Peace Corps called Vista, and then the domestic deal with Vista. Mm-hmm. And there was an elderly lady that was doing a lot of work out at Malpitas now Viso. She was at the Housing Authority meeting one day, and I was on the board. And she said, Chuck, you got to get involved in this uh, poor people's poverty stuff. And I said, Spent the first 25 years of my life trying to get away from the damn thing. See how long I want to get back in it for. <laughs> she said, I don't know what I mean. Well, 
there's some truth, there's a joke in that too. But I mean, you know. So I apologize for the laughing, uh, but it was very funny and it was very down to earth. And obviously, he did take that woman's advice and he got involved in affordable housing. Um, but you know, he was very honest about the fact that somebody came up to him and said, "You need to do this," and his initial reaction was. Oh, I, I've been trying to get away from being poor. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have to jump in. Um, but he clearly was willing. But he's the kind of person that when he puts his heart and soul into something, he does it and does it well. And that's kind of the character of a person is. I think in today's day and age, we hear a lot of wrongs that are going on. And it's very rare that somebody will actually step up and do the right thing. And, and he did that. And it's, uh, it's just amazing the impact he's made in this valley. Yeah, absolutely. And within that same story, you know, I asked him, you know, he he told me that uh, he he comes from the roots. He comes from poor people. And when he talked about the subsidized housing, he said, that's where the love is. That's one of my great prides. All of these subsidized housing units. Um Basically, that he can provide that that they are providing um, a safe, secure, affordable place for people to live, and you know that was why he said he never raised up the rents, and you know after he was kind of nudged to get involved um, because he realized that that's where his that was one of his great prides. So I think that that's very cool. Um, but you know, on top of the affordable housing, I asked I asked Chuck. Is that your most proud accomplishment? And the reason that earlier I said I didn't want to call it his most proud accomplishment, but an accomplishment that brings him great joy is because he told me that, no, his most proud accomplishment is his influence in the San Jose City Charter. And I actually have another funny quote, um, you know, clip that I can play, you know, in a moment, but, um, but where he basically said, I came in there and I had my own ideas about what was going to happen and I figured out how to influence people. And he talked to me at length about that process and just how proud he was to be able to play that role in San Jose. Yeah, I think people don't realize that with San Jose being a charter city, it's such a strong influence of who we are and how we are and how we have to operate and have the ability to influence such a cardinal document that's going to run a city and how it operates. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, and he, he said that he and others, I mean, there was a whole group of people that were a part of it, but you know, they went in, um, with, with very specific ideas about what would be successful. And one of the things that he said was that he wanted to make it um, not too specific because, of course, it needed to be a living document. And he also um, took great care to say to, to kind of he, he got the city council members and the mayors paid because before that nobody was paid in San Jose. But that's that's what this charter did. It, it allowed them to have a salary, which now is very important because it's the 10th largest city in the country and it couldn't function with unpaid council members, of course. Um, but you know, he also talked about how he kind of, he, he wanted to define the mayor as sort of the head of the city in a very specific way that, um, 
that I think actually caused some consternation among some mayors around that time who wondered what exactly it meant and what it meant for their role. And, and he told me a story about him and Norm Mineta having a conversation until 3 a.m. about that and, and Mr. Mineta asking for Chuck's advice and guidance. Yeah, and it's really timely now that there's people who want to take that charter and kind of etch a sketch, shake it up, and uh, change the planning. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, change is not change is always uncomfortable. It's not always bad, um, and it's not always good. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where. Um, you know, I think probably charters, like any document, are meant to be kind of living documents. They're meant, they're meant to be changed. They should change with the times, especially as technology and issues arise. But, but you know, what, after sitting down with Mr. Davidson and just hearing how passionate he was about it and how thoughtful he was, it definitely makes me want to, like, just go read the whole thing <laughs> from front mm-hmm. to back. So here is Chuck Davidson talking to me about when you know he and I think 15 landowners, if I'm remembering the number correctly, um, set out to write the city charter and sort of, as I was talking about before, how he was able to sort of reach across party lines, reach across the line of you know different sides on different issues and um, kind of figure out how to influence people without making enemies. And he kind of talks a little bit about how that happened in the charter process. So let me play you a little clip about um, kind of his version of events. Then we sat down to write the city charter. Well, we had a famous guy on the committee by the name of Al Rufo. Al had been one of the reform candidates. They kicked the machine out in 44. He'd been mayor. He was a famous attorney in town. And he was, Al Rufo was just about everything. Well, he had his ideas on what his charter should be, and I had my ideas on what his charter should be. And it became a case of force of personality, for lack of a better word. Now we had one or two guys on that committee that didn't that we were forced they were forced to put on from labor. They didn't, they didn't know anything about the charter. Mm-hmm. But they liked me. And whichever way I went, they went. Well, there was was turning on. There was several people on there that liked to follow my lead, and that charter came out the way I wanted instead of the way I wanted. So you can kind of hear how he uses his influence. You know that he's a likable and a funny guy, and he had very specific ideas and how he kind of used his influence. But how rare is it for somebody to really get to the real and talk about how you get things done? how you influence people, how it was a force of personality. Nobody talks like that anymore. Everybody just talks about this confluence of events and they all get together and on any given Tuesday they vote and they change things. But that's as real as it gets. Oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't really hold back. He was telling me all kinds of stories. And, you know, even when he would tell me, amazing things he was doing, like not raising, not creating um, market rate developments out of the affordable developments. And, um, you know, how he gave tons of loans to nonprofit housing developers um, at a time when many of them were going to go out of business. I mean, he gave over a million dollars to help keep many nonprofit developers that exist today and are doing good work. Um 
you know, from his account when I was interviewing him, many of them wouldn't even exist today if he hadn't kind of stuck his neck out and given them some money to stay afloat during a tough time. Um, and then I said, you know, is there anything else you want me to know? And he said, he was very clear. He said, I'm not a saint. I am a normal human being, just like anybody else. And I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea about me. I thought that was very humble. Yeah, I mean, it is exactly who, who Mr. Davidson is. And I think it's it's a testament to who he is strived to be and who he's been able to maintain. Absolutely. So we'll do one more. So we're getting past 20, about 20, I think about 22. Okay, so... One of the one of the last things that I talked to Chuck Davidson about was some of his other philanthropy. We know that he gave um, like fifteen to twenty million to twenty million to San Jose State University. He's got the you know engineering building named after him in perpetuity, um, and he was also one of the founders of the Tower Foundation at San Jose State, which does huge philanthropy, and he has his own family. Um, foundation. And I was asking him about some of his passions and, you know, if there was a through line through all this philanthropy. And one thing that he, you know, kept coming back to from my observations was his passion for, you know, basically helping people that are um, poor or just need a little bit of help to get to upward mobility, particularly young people in need of mentorship and education, young single parents that need, you know, help providing stable um, housing or daycare. And so um, I have one clip that I thought was that really beautifully outlined how passionate he was about these causes, and I'll go ahead and play it now. You know how difficult it is for a working mother or a working parent to need childcare and can't afford it. I, I can only imagine. <laughs> well, they provide it free. Jeez. And uh, I've had the bail them out a couple of times too, big time. Uh, but they're on their feet solid now. Yeah. San Juan Batista Childcare Center. By next year, they'll have 18 spots. They have one in Hollister, mm-hmm. one in Gilroy. But what a great thing it is for, say, a working mother or even working parents mm-hmm. to have a place to have childcare free. Mm-hmm. They're working, but they can't. Do you know what childcare costs? A lot. Big, the big dollar. Yeah. And so it's stuff like that that I love. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, uh, those are my people. Yeah. I think it comes down to understanding the core of what makes civilization work is making sure family operates and functions and not having um, attitudes where you're looking down your nose at people, but putting a hand down to help people lift up. I think it's really rare of not having any moral or... um, issues of looking down at people saying, why aren't they doing better for themselves? But just the, the natural reaction of, I, I, I should help. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I think our country has gone through phases in how we think about folks who are poor and need help. And, you know, there was a time in our country where we had an idea that it was a failing of the 
person, of the individual, if they were poor and they were struggling and they needed welfare. And I think increasingly we're realizing that often this is a failing of the system. But what I found interesting is that, you know, Chuck is 89 and he has been doing this since he was a young man through that period of time when as a country, we largely thought that it was a failing of the human, uh, of the individual. But even during that time, that was when he, that was kind of like the heyday of when he was creating his, the most of his affordable housing. And so he's kind of been a steady eddy on that, that he's kind of always known that it was the system and not faulting the individual. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, again, I just want to say thanks, Janice Bitter, Senior Reporter for San Jose Spotlight, for joining me. Thanks for having me. This has been The Podlight, a collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm Bob Stedler. I'm Janice Bitters. And we'll see you again soon.